Welcome to What Moves You, a Speedway Motors podcast for people who love cars. I'm Joe McCullough, and today we're talking with our own Zach Raditz and Jeff Carls about the Week to Wicked Nova. We'll talk about how this car came to be, what's next for it, and why we chose to build an old-school gasser when everyone else is doing high-tech pro-touring muscle cars. We also share some stories about Novas that we've owned and loved, why big-block Chevys will always be cool, and check in on some of our current projects at home. I've kind of grown accustomed to seeing you guys in the hallway, in the break room, and hearing about what you're up to and what you're working on. And now that we're all working from home for the time being, you know, I don't really know, you know, we've kind of lost that. Uh, Jeff, I snooped on your Facebook and saw that your Chevelle is coming along. Yeah, it's uh, it's home from paint now. And you wouldn't believe how sick my wife is of hearing about every little thing that I would usually like talk to you guys in the hallway about. So little milestones of, Hey, <laughs> you know, I just got this done. And she's like, I really, really don't care. What is that? Thing? <laughs> yeah. But you know, you're, you're missing that like car guy personal interaction. And I think that all of us are missing that probably. I never really considered myself that much of a social guy, but you know, just walking down the hall and, and saying what's up to somebody fills your cup up a little bit, you know, during the day. It really is something that I wasn't prepared for. You know, I'm kind of a loner and I can be content to be left alone in my garage for, you know, 24 consecutive hours without saying a word. But I do miss that sort of community. And I think that this whole little episode has taught me that I depend on that way more than I thought I would. And that that's a much bigger part of the being a car guy than I think I thought it was. You know, that's true. We may, we may not be car guys or it may not be the same for us if we were not part of a community. You know, if you were the only person that, that you knew that was interested in this kind of stuff, that interest may have faded a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely, I guess, keep each other, keep each other going. So big blocks and Nova's, I guess, are two themes that we're, we're going to talk about today. You know, as we were trying to figure out what we, what we wanted to discuss here, we, it occurred to us that that week to wicked Nova, the, the 67 Nova that we built last August, you know, normally when we do a project, we have the opportunity to kind of explain, give it some context. This is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. Uh, that one, since it, we really didn't own the, the content, we worked with Carcraft magazine on it we more or less showed up and did our week to wicked thing and built the car in, in five days and then turned around and left. And we didn't have much of a chance to, to discuss it, discuss why in the year 2019, do you build a stick axle, big block tunnel Ram Nova? You know, as we, we were looking at the other week to wicked builds, it seems like they were all kind of the same theme and there, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, they're on trend, you know, big wheel, big brake pro touring cars with suspensions built to go around corners and injected LS engines. And we wanted to do something a little bit different with that Nova. And, uh, you know, I believe we, I believe we did that. Oh yeah. Definitely different than anything else. Those guys have built on that week to wicked program. Yeah. I think it was actually one of, one of the things that came up in some of our pre-meetings and discussions on, on that project is, you know, what, what is the next thing that we could do that if you lined all the week to wicked cars up that would stand head and shoulders above 
those cars, liter- literally. Literally, Like if you yep. look, look down over the fender line of all the other cars and it's like, ooh, one of these things is definitely not like the others. So, I mean, that's kind of where the cool factor with for me is with any hot rod. You know, if you kind of blaze your own trail, that's that's where those trends kind of come from. And we've, you know, Speedway's become synonymous with the gasser look, gasser front end kits and suspension parts that we sell. Um, you know, that, that boiled right down to being a natural fit for our next project. Yeah, definitely. And really kind of something that stood out to me was that we're kind of blending different things, you know, the muscle car uh, genre that we're kind of into these days. Um, 67 Chevy two is a perfect fit for that. But then if we're going to put a gasser front end underneath of it and kind of go with a traditional approach, I mean, it's, it's a win-win to me, I guess. Well, and you know, another thing that, that we do at Speedway and certainly the three of us are into, you know, sort of a nostalgic car, you know, it's, it's one thing to have a 67 Nova, but if you put a a leather interior and a fuel injected engine and 12 inch brakes on it, it, it's going to kind of drive like a Honda Civic. If you build a car, whereas if you build a car, if you stick a straight axle in front of it and a, a open header big block, you know, you're kind of getting the experience that what it was like to drive around in one of those in the 60s. And and you and I and all three of us kind of appreciate that aspect of it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's nothing nothing better than a big block Chevy with open headers. Uh, I don't care what kind of car it's in. You know, that's cool there in itself. And then, you know, you put it together with that car with the stance that it has, you know, and, and the details just go on and on. We We ended up with a sedan instead of a hard top, you know, a lot of people would think that a sedan is not the best platform to start with. But I remember when we were sitting down, you know, kind of planning everything that we wanted, uh, we were talking about, well, what would you have done in 1968 if you were going to build a, a car like this? Well, you're probably going to go find a sedan because they're less expensive, I would imagine. And I guess they're lighter. I, I'd never weighed one uh, next to a hard top, but that's what everybody says. I always heard that too, like with talking about tri-fives, you wanted to build a sedan instead of a hardtop because they, they weighed less. And I don't know if they weighed less by a pound or weighed less by 200 pounds. I don't know what the difference is, but I've always heard that too. So may, maybe it's just a, an old wives tale or something, but I don't know. I think that, that you definitely look at pictures of cars that were racing in the day and you do see sedans, I feel like more than hardtops. Maybe they were just cheaper. Maybe that's what it comes down to. You know, if you're going to build a race car and cut it up, you know, you're not going to go get a an L79 Supersport car and take the nice bucket seats out and throw them away and and all that stuff that you paid more money for to to get. Well, and it, it's kind of a, yeah, you kind of have this utility, you know, it's like Grandma's Nova, you know, mm-hmm. you you get the bench seat column shift version, then yeah, you're not wrecking anything that was that was good to begin with. Yeah, every bell, every whistle adds a little bit of weight. So if you right. you know you buy the base model, the the lowest model you can. There was also some I know you know definitely the the difference between convertible and and you know a roof vehicle. There were extra frame braces and things yeah. for the convertible cars. I know when you get into some of the earlier cars, there were. Um, there was more bracing, more structure for a hard top car than there was the post because it had the B pillar mm-hmm. to, to support mm-hmm. that span at the top. So, yeah, like you said, it, it could be could have been a negligible amount of weight difference, but uh, when you talk to a drag racer, there there is no 
negligible amount of weight. <laughs> light, light is a state of mind. I remember, uh, and, and I'm not sure if you remember this, Joe, but I was walking down the hallway, you know, back when we were allowed to do that. And uh, <laughs> I remember you saying, hey, you know, take this for what it is, but I think we might be looking for a 66 or 67 Chevy 2. And, you know, my ears kind of perked up like, oh, really? Well, what have you got cooking that you want one of those for? <laughs> you know, and you kind of told me that you were planning on this project. And I, I even think you said something about it'd be really cool to find a sedan. And uh, right away, I remember thinking, oh, I know where there's one. You know, I, I know, I know uh, exactly where it is. I don't know if we can get it or not, but, you know, it was a possibility. I think I pulled my cell phone out of my pocket right then and there and uh, sent TJ a text message saying, hey, remember that 66? I, I didn't know what it was for sure. Couldn't remember if it was a six or seven, but I knew that he had a, a two-door sedan. And I remember when he got it and I I really think it was like 2004. Uh, for some reason that sticks out to me is when I remember him going to pick it up. And at the time I was kind of thinking, wow, you have a whole bunch of those things already. Cause he's got a couple hard tops and a wagon. And you know, those are kind of his, his jam is a 66 or seven Nova. Um, and I remember saying, Hey, do you still have that car? And, and I think he sent me a picture of it and I was like, Oh, it's painted cool. Do you want to sell it? <laughs> well, yeah. And that, you know, that's the thing that I've learned here recently is, you know, if we need something for a speedway project or if I need something for my project, you know, Zach, you're kind of like a one-stop shop. Like I, I, Hey, I need a bell housing. And then the next day it's in the trunk of your car or, Hey, I need a 66 or seven Nova. And I mean, you sent that picture over. I mean, it was like 15 minutes after we'd had that conversation. Here's <laughs> oh, a picture yeah. of this blue Nova <laughs> sitting, <laughs> sitting in the field. Like, Oh, Hey, that's perfect. That's great. And, and that car was really kind of perfect for us because the one thing that we didn't really have time to do was paint and body. And that right. was really the only thing that had been done on that car. You know, mm -hmm. it was pretty much just a gutted shell. It ran, you know, you could drive it. It had a, a six cylinder in it, but you know, the seat was, was not the original seat and it was all funky and all the yeah. trim was laying in the trunk where the back seat, you know, between the trunk and where the back seat should have been. So it wound up being a really perfect car for us because the paint and body was pretty good, but everything else we could kind of interpret as we wanted to. He, he replied to me right away and sent me those pictures. And of course I was like, jackpot this is exactly what we want i'm going to send these to joe and you know blow his doors off right now with, with this kind of with this uh reaction time i guess you know you were like wow that's you know that's pretty good and then we had to kind of start negotiating with him a little bit convincing him to sell it to us because he really didn't want to sell it i mean i i wouldn't want to sell that either if i had it especially once you if you've had it that long and you just got it home from paint <laughs> yeah, I know that. I know that feeling. It's like I'm finally this close to the finish line. You know, TJ's a guy with lots of different irons in the fire, several different projects going at the same time. You know, just like all of us, really trying to to do too many things at once. And so I think he kind of figured he could focus on something else if he did let that go. So luckily, he hadn't done anything else. Like Joe said, it was just you know the paint and body was done, and that's it. You know, if he would have had a different motor in it and had the interior done and a whole bunch of other stuff, it would have kind of been past the point of no return probably. Well, but he still, he still cared what we, what we did to it. You know, I remember him coming into the shop as we were laying out the parts and pieces, kind of getting ready to send it all in a crate to California. And 
you know, I had a couple, eh, you know, I don't know, maybe we don't put a front bumper on it. And he was like, oh, no, no, yeah, you want to put a front bumper on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, well, maybe maybe we'll put a moon tank on it. Oh, no, no, you don't want to put a moon tank on it. <laughs> so he still cared, I think, what we what we did to it. So I don't know, I guess, since it's been done, I don't know if he likes it or not. But I do remember, you know, talking to him after we made the deal. And I think he was sending me pictures. He kind of had a, he had an idea of what he was going to do to the car. And, and it's really very in line with what we ended up doing. He wanted to build a gasser. He wanted to put a big block in it, you know, because he's a big block Chevy fan too. He's been messing with those pesky LS engines lately. I don't know when he's <laughs> going to snap out of that phase. But um, I remember something about the gauges. You know, you're like, well, maybe we'll make a gauge panel and put, you know, a, a speedometer and tack in it. He's like, no, you can't put a round gauge in a square hole. That doesn't work. <laughs> you have to leave the stock instrument cluster and just put a tack on the column. You know, and I guess that's what somebody would have done in, in the 60s. You know, they would have they would have ran it, you know, made a little block off plate for the for the where the radio would have been, um, you know, which I guess didn't you do that? I can't remember now. I haven't seen that car for a while. Yeah. Yeah. There's just an aluminum aluminum plate where the radio goes. Or no, it's the climate control. I think it had a radio delete plate oh. in it. And then where the climate control went, we made an aluminum plate to block it off. Yeah, a memory from that too when we were out there in California. I remember you were making stuff out of aluminum and I think you made a comment and said, if I could just make little panels out of aluminum all day, I'd be completely satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my place of zen is cutting and forming metal. It just, just takes me to a happy place. You know, we we always call that thing a gasser. And, you know, I think that that's kind of a, a common misnomer Anytime somebody puts a stick axle under anything, you know, a international pickup, they'll put a straight axle underneath it and call it a gasser. And I suppose what it really comes down to is, would it have been a car that would have run or been legal in an NHRA gas class in the, the you know, 50s or 60s? And in our case, I, I think by the late 60s or early 70s, that car, that Nova would have been somewhere else, you know, it would have been modified production or super stock or factory experimental or something else, you know, not, not a gasser. Well, it just depends on how far into the weeds you want to get, you know, do you want to really, <laughs> yeah. do you want to, you know, come up with the exact terminology? I mean, that's kind of the way all hot rotting activities are. It depends on, you know, I guess the level of nerd that you are, you know, if you want to, <laughs> If you want to break it down all the way, you know, like we try to do, you know, to elevate the hobby to its highest level, I guess, um, you know, we probably shouldn't call it a gasser. But the reality is it's kind of just a universal term that everybody, everybody knows what you're talking about. If you say it's a 67 Nova gasser, okay, they, they get that picture in their head of what it looks like. It's easy to say, well, you know, we're going to build a late 60s era car, but things changed so fast, you know, from 64, you know, you start to see the first uh, altered wheelbase cars by like 66, you know, 67. If you were building something to to run in those classes, you were building, I mean, like a flip top funny car, you know, it was just, it was a period of almost less than two years that you evolved from an altered wheelbase car to a, a flopper, you know, so you you have to pin a pretty specific date if you're trying to build something that's absolutely correct that nobody's going to take is issue with. 
So, right. you know, you can widen the net a little bit by saying, well, you know, we're going to build, build it like a, a kid who was reading Hot Rod magazine would have built it. And, you know, maybe he was going to go hit the street with it and race it occasionally. That's kind of how I consider that car to be is, is something that just a hot rod crazy kid would have built and would have run in whatever class they would have put him in when he got to the drag strip, you know, and then spent most of his time on Friday night tearing up the streets. Right. Another thing that I guess I kind of think about, maybe it's good to call it like a 90% correct car or something, you know, uh, would it have been exactly the way you found a car that, that was a race car in the sixties? Maybe not quite. Um, but you know, part of the deal is a lot of the products that we make, you know, need to bolt on. They, they, they can't have a lot of, uh, fabrication element to them, I guess, because for the average guy that doesn't have a shop full of special tools and stuff, you know, he's not moving his axle forward and, mm-hmm. his, and you know, shaping the floor and the wheel wells and all that stuff. I mean, he would like to, everybody would like to do that stuff, but you know, where do you draw the line at with a car that you're going to drive on the street and try and have fun with and not take, you know, 20 years to build like I would probably hey now. stretch it. Yeah. Out. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, so yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the products that we have, to sell and to put on this car to kind of showcase what you can do. It's maybe a little more mild than it would have been in an actual racing application, which is good in my opinion, good because you know, if you're going to build a car like that, how often are you really going to get out and have fun with it? I mean, if it's an all out race car, then you need a trailer and a truck to pull it with and you know, all this time to get everything dialed in. And Mm -hmm. you know, there are, are lots and lots of people who do that, you know, look at the Southeast gassers. They're kind of, uh, all about that. And I think a lot of those guys drive the heck out of them on the street mm-hmm. too. Um, but this is probably even more mild than, than what those guys are doing. Well, I know it's more mild and it's got a bunch of modern stuff hidden away on the inside of the motor, you know, like the, yeah. the roller cam, um, and stuff like that. And the transmission has a few, I guess, modern drag racing tricks in there that, you know, you can't see on the outside, but ultimately they make the car perform better. And transbracer is still a lot of fun, whether it's at a stoplight or, or a Christmas tree. So, I mean, it's just... As long as some... you're not in front of your neighbor's house, the state patrol guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to get him to come outside and say hello. I haven't, oh. I've been as yet unsuccessful with that. So, Well, yeah. I think yeah, that and, no and would that's, get the job done. <laughs> yeah, I believe it probably would. You know, that that thing, if, if for those of you who haven't seen it or heard it, it's, it's still open headers. We use the fender well headers on it and have yet to get around to doing exhaust. I sent when we went to California, sent all the exhaust stuff out there so that we could build, you know, build an exhaust and we just never did. And what a shame. We just couldn't I, find the time <laughs> to do it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I mean it's it's pretty loud. <laughs> Once you hear it run, you kind of lose motivation for for putting any extra tubing or or mufflers on it too. Oh boy, it's, it does it does sound good. I mean, I think we wound up at 11 to 1 compression. It's got that big, big solid roller cam in it. I mean, it's pretty, pretty healthy, you know, and and that's something that's worth mentioning too. You you know, like you said, we didn't really, it's kind of a bolt together car as much as something like that can be, you know, we, we did the cage before we sent it to California, but really all of the rest of the stuff that we did to it just bolts on, you know, the front clip, I forget how many, I mean, it's, it's 20 bolts or whatever. And the original front clip is gone. And then the, the speedway front clip that we put on it, you know, same, same bolts, it bolts right back in place. 
you know, there's nothing super exotic that we did, nothing that couldn't be duplicated in a home garage to build a pretty, you know, attention getting car. Yeah. It, I mean, there wasn't lots of fabricating. I mean, I'm trying to even remember, I think the most fabricating that was done was really on the interior, you know, that back panel that you made for it. Um, and some of those little block off plates and stuff. Yeah. Rear, rear firewall and like stuff to fit universal parts. I mean, that, as a product manager, universal parts are my favorite thing in the whole world because <laughs> they don't actually fit anything. So you have to modify, no matter what, you have to modify it to make it work. And this is the same thing with the, you know, with those buckets and the sliders, you, you make some brackets and it bolts in like it was made to, like it grew there, you know, the rear firewall that between those and a few little brackets and things there was, yeah, everything was basically right out of the Speedway catalog and bolted on. I don't even think we had to use the grinder on very much stuff. And that's usually my go-to anytime I'm doing something (laughs) to a car. (laughs) seems like you know anything that you do like they say it's it's uh it's hot rotting you know when you have to modify things because i guess after all we're putting things on cars where they weren't meant to go the only time i remember seeing the welder was for the subframe connectors i guess yeah Mm -hmm. just because it's a good idea to weld those yeah other than having that cage put in it just right out of the gate yeah there really wasn't much in the way of fabrication that we had to do which which like you say that to me is usually about the first thing you place you have to start. You have to cut out all the rusty garbage and, mm-hmm. you know, weld it in and replace it. I think Jeff, you did some of that on your Chevelle. Yeah. Several times, actually. We, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you, when you start, you open the can of worms and, and you get so far with it. That's, that's kind of how that whole thing evolved in the first place is that, the might as well's got a hold of the whole project. You know, when yeah. you pe- peel the old patch that they had in the trunk floor and you realize there wasn't anything under it. And then the quarters are that soft too. And the other part of the trunk floor was that soft and you, you end up just scrubbing all of it and starting over. So, and that car actually ended up with quarters put on it after the quarters that were originally on the car got <laughs> patched. So yeah, we ended up cutting all that work off and throwing it away anyway. But so yeah, it, it's, especially in the Midwest, you start with the top half of a car and then the, the bottom half of it comes from like an AMD or a Sherman yeah. or someplace like that. Right. So, you know, we finished that car in August and then it promptly got promptly, we got busy getting it ready for SEMA and it got cold and snowy. And so we really haven't got to spend much time driving it. We've never had it to the drag strip, which is not what we built it for, but certainly something that we'd like to do with it you know, probably what that car needs more than anything else is just to get out and be run hard and blow it out good. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent with that. In fact, I, I would like to make the, I'd throw down the gauntlet. I, uh, I would like to go head to head with that car in my Chevelle. I, I think it's, yeah. what did that, what did that engine dyno at? 650? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like it was that. like, it was 640 something horsepower and 650 something torque. So, yeah. So I'm, I mean, I'm only, a hundred horsepower down, probably a thousand <laughs> pounds lighter or heavier. What, you know, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> that car, man, that, that Nova, you really, even just sitting in it when it's idling and you haven't even put it in gear yet, you feel the respect that you're going to have to have for that thing. When you actually drop the hammer, you know, it's, it's lets you know that it's going to require all of your attention. 
we had our quarterly meeting and we used that as sort of an attention getter um, for, you know, what did you do over summer vacation kind of a deal for our <laughs> quarterly update? So the car was in Bill's garage at the museum, which is all granite floor. Um, mm-hmm. Pulled the thing in, went and warmed it up around driving around the campus before that. So it would be a mm-hmm. really easy, hot start. Um, mm-hmm. Greg finished up with his little spiel and then it was my turn to talk. Uh, and I knew what his speech was. So toward the end of his talk, I migrated around the driver's side of the Nova and kind of snuck into it. And as he finished up with his part of the presentation, I keyed that car and fired it up in the middle of the, <laughs> of the assembly. And there's probably 50 or 60 people in that room when you have all those teams together. And it's still uh, open headers. You oh, know, yeah. Ne- yeah never, just, never has had an exhaust on it. It sounded like a bomb going off in there. And it, <laughs> to say surprise uh, was present on the face of everyone in the room is an understatement. So that was... Uh, yeah, and that, driving the car around campus that morning, it uh, as it warmed up and you could get you know you get the juices flowing in it a little bit and get some heat into the cylinder heads. It's yeah, it's a handful. It's definitely froggy. And you know that's the, kind of the thing about that that style of car. There, if we had set out to just build a, a drag car, we would have done it way differently. You know, there's there's all sorts of technology that's come around in the last fifty years since the era that that car is supposed to emulate that would make it way faster. You know, mm-hmm. put make it low in the front, put a four link and some coilovers on it, and it, you know, it would be it would be way faster. And so I, it's it's possible that we would run your Chevelle, which is sort of a modern car it's possible we'd run your Chevelle and it would be a pretty darn good race. And that would be sort of embarrassing for this sky high, gnarly, loud, open header tunnel ram Nova. (laughs) But, but you know, that's, that's part of the, the charm of that car is that it, it has that in your face sort of punch you in the nose kind of experience that, you know, it's hard to get from a, a, you know, fuel injected car that idles like a Silverado pickup and, uh, you know, it's just, it's just missing that visceral sort of experience. Yeah, there's something to be said for the theatrics of going fast too. You know, the, the, the high center of gravity in that car, the, the feeling, the way that it already sets you back in the seat, as soon as you sit down in it, <laughs> you're already yeah. at, a, at a nose yeah. up inclination and, and just to, to feel how, how rigid the car is and how well it reacts to, to blip in the throttle. I'm I'm excited to take the car down the track and see what it can do when you make a hard pass with the trans brake and good sticky tires on it. It's going to be extra sketchy then, that's for sure, because it's already <laughs> kind of like that if you if yeah. you give it a little gas. I mean, it's it's kind of like a I don't know. It's primitive. That's the best way to say it. I, I think that it's going to be a lot of fun to to have around, and I I'm afraid that at some point we might have to put an exhaust on it so that we can drive it across town Ooh. to the, you know, the local, local drive-in without getting, you know, arrested on the way there. But cause it's loud. I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've been around a lot of loud race cars. It's, it's a loud race car. So I, I'm excited to have that thing. Once this whole, whole lockdown has ended, I'm excited to get that car out and around. And, you know, I think just driving it down the street is going to be, every bit as cool as, as driving it down the drag strip, you know, watch the looks on the Lexus owners when you pull up next to them and, you know, rattle their coffee out of its cup. I, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. We need to do that as soon as we can. I've got the itch. Well, <laughs> and if we're, if we're talking about big blocks and Nova's here, Zach, you, 
have a Nova that, that you go way back with. You, do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, it's uh, a 72 Nova. So kind of the, in my opinion, you know, you know the last of the, the good looking third gen Novas. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll oh, get to you in a minute. I, I, said, I said in my opinion, you know, which that, that's the key right there. It's like saying no offense before you give somebody some criticism. Not disrespect, uh, but. But I'm getting ready to disrespect you, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a 72 uh, Chevy Nova, just a plain Jane, not a super sport or anything like that. Factory equipped with a 307 V8, you know, turbo 350 column shifted with a bench seat. Um, but it was actually my first car and, uh, I got that car, I guess we're coming up on 21 years actually. Holy moly. Years ago. So yeah, 99. Well, and you're not that old. I mean, you're, you're kind of old, but you're not a whole lot more than 21 years old. (laughs) Yeah. 35 (laughs) years old. So, uh, I got that car when I was 14 years old. So, um, you know, I wasn't even really. I mean, I liked cars at the time, of course, just like any teenager does, I guess. But, you know, I, I wasn't really expecting to get a car right then and there. You know, I was a few dollars short and and uh, didn't really know what I wanted. And my dad happened to be cruising the Thrifty Nickel, if you guys remember that. <laughs> that old <laughs> classified uh, oh, okay, you are paper. Old. So, <laughs> you know, so he was looking for just something to daily drive himself. I don't remember what happened to whatever he was driving, but uh, he found that. And I didn't even know that we were going to look at something like that. He was just like, oh, we got to go look at this car. So we jumped in his truck and took off. And I remember going to this place and we pulled up and the guy had several old cars, you know, behind his house. It, it was kind of like a small acreage or something where mm-hmm. it was. And you know, we pulled up to it and I was like, all right, you're going to get something cool to drive, dad. This isn't just another little, you know, beater Honda hatchback or something. And, uh, I remember, you know, we made a deal with the guy and got it. It was 600 bucks to get that car. Um, so anyway, we got it home and my mom freaked out. She did not think that we needed something (laughs) like that. You know, she knew right away that it was going to be a a money pit, which she was absolutely correct. Like a lifelong Um, money pit. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> Multi generational. I'm not even. I'm not even. Uh, not even close to being done with that one. So, um, so yeah, I, I, you know, it took a long time. I got a job working uh, in high school at a local auto shop. You know, making next to nothing, cleaning up, cleaning parts, and just helping out with stuff. And finally, got enough money rounded up between my dad and I. You know. I guess pitching in on on engine parts and stuff. The the motor that was in it was was no good at all. I mean, it barely ran. Um, later, I found it had a broken rocker arm, and the push rod was actually flying up, denting the inside of the valve cover. But <laughs> it, it ran so bad. I think it had a flat cam too, and that's. I mean, it was just toast. So we built a new engine for it, a, a 350 or 355, if you want to if you want to be technical, I guess. Um, you know, and, and got it running and it was my first car to cruise around in and it was really awesome. Um, you know, drove it all through high school pretty much, um, on the weekends, cruised O street, broke the engine several times, you know, blew a transmission up in at one time. 
I remember that seems to be the beginning of a running theme. Oh yeah, I know. I, <laughs> hard I've on transmissions, a, man. <laughs> I know. I've, I've got a, another story about transmissions. I'll save for later. Um, <laughs> a new development, but anyway. Uh, Did you put a zipper on the transmission crossmember in your sedan delivery yet? <laughs> no, I think it's going to have to have a four-speed next. So oh, wow. I'm done with automatic transmissions. Right, so but, you'd be changing the rear end in it then next. Yeah. <laughs> yep, it's coming down the line. But uh, yeah, anyway, my Nova, I guess uh, I'm trying to even kind of pick a story about it because, you know, I have so many. But uh, I finally blew the engine up for the last time. I would say it was probably about 2006. And, you know, that was 15, well, 14 years ago, I guess. So uh, then I guess it kind of started while we were out at SEMA with the the Nova. I remember when we were out there at SEMA, well, no, it was on the way home. You know, Kevin was with me. You know, everybody knows Kevin. And uh, he just kept asking me about my Nova. I'd, I was actually kind of intrigued why he was so talkative about it. <laughs> uh, you know, then I get home and I realize that my car is gone. You know, it was was just gone. I stopped over at my parents' house where the car has been all these years and it wasn't there. And, uh, you know, so I immediately kind of got concerned about that. Um, I went to the neighbor's house to ask him if he knew anything about it. He didn't know. I tried to call my mom and dad on the phone. They're both at work. Don't, you know, they don't answer. Um, my mom finally calls me back and I was kind of, you know, in this fit of rage, trying to figure out where the car was. <laughs> and, uh, she said, okay, just calm down. I was like, I'm going to, I need to call the police or what's going on. You know, like, like where, <laughs> where would it have gone? Why would my dad move this car without telling me while I was out of town, you know? And she said, no, 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 no. Calm down or whatever. And then she said, you just need to, you need to ask your friends about it. And I'm like, what, what has this got to do with them? How could this, you know, I'm still lost here. Uh-huh. And so then my dad's calling me back by that time. Cause I called him 15 times or whatever. <laughs> when I was trying to get him on the phone and I said, Hey, what's going on? Where's the car? You know? And he's like, Oh, you know, call Ben and, and Mike and Spike and all your friends. Uh, they have it. And I was thinking, well, what are they? I don't want those guys messing with that thing. What are they doing to it? Pretty much I figured out that they they were going to overhaul me, I guess, or try to. <laughs> you know, they came and got the car uh, while I was out of town, you know, and they had all uh, pitched in and bought, you know, the sheet metal for the car that it needed. Wow, uh, that's cool. It, it was just, I was completely floored, you know, when my dad told me that and immediately I calmed down. I was like, okay, cool. Well, if, if anybody... Uh, can handle that thing. It would definitely be Ben and yeah. you know Derek and some of my other friends that are way better fabricators and body men than I am. You know, I can, I can put an engine together and I guess I can probably hack a quarter panel onto something, but that's all it would be, would be a hack job. Um, so I figured, okay, I'm not going to say anything to anybody, you know, cause it's supposed to be a secret. So I'll just, I'm going to calm down and, and be quiet. So then I get lured over to Ben's shop later that night and I knew it was there. You know, I didn't, Mm -hmm. I hadn't seen it, but I knew it was there. And 
I walked in and next thing you know, there's 15 of my friends, you know, they're all hiding in there like it's a surprise birthday party (laughs) or something. And they come jumping out and and Spike is there, you know, filming my reaction. Mm -hmm. And at first I just, I saw it, you know, right when I walked in, I saw what was left of it (laughs) hanging on on the left. And uh, I pretended not to, not to know. And then I was like, oh, that's my car, you know. And uh, I actually lived the lie for a couple days because I didn't want to tell them that I knew. But then I just couldn't do it. So I finally told them. And they were like, oh, you knew the whole time? And it's like, not the whole time. You know, I had to tell them what happened. So, yeah, now it's down there at at that shop. And they got into it. And, you know, they cut away everything that was rusty. And there was a roof left, basically, right? They handed you the keys and the door handles back. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, and that's part of the reason why the car sat for so long because I knew it was it was a rough car. I mean, it was a it was a Nebraska car its whole life, so you know it was driven in the salt and everything, and and I wasn't that nice to it either. And it's pretty much been sitting outside for the last twenty years that I've had it. You know, I guess maybe a couple years it was in the garage, but not a lot. And uh, so, yeah, I knew it was rough. It looked a lot better than it was. It was one of those cars. Yeah. You know, kind of like your mm-hmm. Chevelle, Jeff, where it's mm-hmm. like it, it, it looks pretty decent, but then once you cut it apart, it's like, whoa. Yeah. You know, I should have just picked a different car. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Mine was the barn find that should have stayed in the barn. Yeah. Well, I, I like to call mine the sleeper that's not ever going to wake up. <laughs> so that's kind of the cool thing about, you know, you mentioned the stories behind all the parts, you know, the, you as the builder are the only one that's ever going to know all those stories, you know, and to me, that's what makes my cars so meaningful is that I know where I remember dragging the, dragging that axle or that spring out of the dirt at the junkyard. And I know that that bell housing you gave to me because I told you I needed one. And, uh, you know, so that when you talk about the community and all of us sort of missing the community, like, I think that's what we're missing is the opportunity to kind of share those stories and, and, you know, make that meaning mean something to more than just us. And I guess that's kind of why we're here. You know, we're, we're talking about this because I think largely because I'm, I think I miss talking to you guys. I miss like, you know, like I say, the bumping into you at Speedway and, and being able to, to share all of this. And I guess that that's what makes this little deal that we're a part of more about the people and less about the actual nuts and bolts of the thing. Yeah. You know, and as coming from a street rotting family that was, <clears throat> that was involved with it, you know, clear back into the early seventies, some of the lifetime friends that, that I have still, that's really what the hobby ends up is all about. It's the people, the the cars change over the years. Well, except Zach's, I mean, he's still got, his, you know. <laughs> someday I want to know what it's like not to have to sell a car to work on the next one, whether yeah. it's for finances or just room under the garage roof. But well, the lucky thing for me was it wasn't worth anything. So that's why it never got sold. <laughs> so didn't you have a Nova Jeff? I, I swear. I remember you telling me about, yeah, I, I had a, mine was a Disco Nova because I, I wanted a 69, but I couldn't afford to buy a 69 at that time. So when I was 14 years old, I think the same as you, same age as you, Zach, um, mine was a 79 that I picked up for 650 bucks. It was a clean North Carolina car. Still had factory paint on the floor pans and stuff on the bottom of the car was just hmm. a cream puff, which is great because the, the first thing that we did with it, my brother helped me 
get the car to the point where we did all the body work on it. Didn't really need anything major, but we, you know, we fit the car and blocked it and everything. I had it dry stripped and, uh, we painted, we got the car ready for paint and took it into a, a local body shop, a fellow drag racer friend that ran a body shop over in council bluffs and they squirted it for me. Um, and that was, um, besides the Chevelle, that was the last new paint job that I had ever had was when I was 17 years old. But and how many years ago a, was that? <laughs> uh, many moons. Yeah. 41 now. So it's, uh, it's kind of interesting the parallels that I'm having now between being that 16, 17 year old kid reassembling a fresh paint car and mm-hmm. all the little detail work, the, you know, detail and paint and strip and bumper brackets. And like that car, it was, you know, at the height of the sort of the Euro mod trend of mm-hmm. painted bumpers, door handles, it had blacked out window trim, you know, real dark window tint. It was, uh, it had centerline auto drags on it. It was uh, kind of a dark metallic blue, uh, Ford moonlight blue that was brand new in 96. The year I graduated was, uh, was the year that that car was painted. So it's mm-hmm. a, that Ford Mustang kind of really rich metallic blue. That was, uh, it, and it was all all flash the car until I graduated high school I wasn't allowed to do anything performance wise with it it had a 250 straight six and a slush box 200 metric uh, transmission in it not even I didn't even get a turbo 350 slush box in mine uh, seven and a half inch 10 bolt you know it was it was the the base of everything and uh, I raced high school class in the car still it ran I remember it was deadly consistent it ran a 1987 ET <laughs> in a quarter mile but it would do it Every time that car was deadly consistent. If you could cut a light in it, you could go rounds. Um, I'm not saying I went rounds cause I slept in it a lot too, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that was, yeah, the, the disco Nova was technically my second car. My, my folks kind of pulled the, uh, Hey, we got you a car and they had found on the bulletin board at the gro- grocery store. It was a 79 tornado that, uh, the lady was selling extremely cheap. It was like a $150 car and they had, had drug it home. And that was my seed capital. I paid my stepdad back for that car, detailed it, fixed the little mechanical stuff. That was when I was 13. Um, fixed the little <laughs> mechanical stuff that was wrong with it, dolled it all up. And I slung it to a, a actually a guy that my brother worked with, uh, bought that car for a daily driver. And it was just enough to buy that Nova coincidentally from my brother. So I, yeah, I, I feel like I kind of got rooked on the deal now that I think back on it, but, uh, you know, it was, yeah, it was a great, great starter car, you know, and that one that it, it went through the progression of, you know, the straight six and my stepdad was, was always really good with, uh, you know, his pearls of wisdom having, you know, gone through it before. And, and as the old saying goes, if you don't screw something up, you didn't learn anything, Well, he had mm-hmm. a lot of knowledge. So he helped me <laughs> avoid some pitfalls with that car. And the, the first thing I started at the back end of the car. So he says, usually everybody dumps their money into the engine. And by the time they get to the back of the car, it's got a stock axle in it with a 273 gear and it won't still won't get out of its own way. And you've got mm-hmm. a, you know, 7,500 RPM, you know, peak power engine. So originally when the car started finally going together after I graduated, it got a 410 posi behind the straight six, which was a whole lot of fun <laughs> to get to the top of first gear. And then that was kind of all over, but uh, you know, that it eventually ended up with a roller cam small block in it. The car it, at its quickest through, through that whole uh, saga, it went high twelves, which, you know, is 
you know, production car quick now. It's, it's, that's not a, that's nothing to, to accomplish anymore. But back then for a car with full interior and in it still had a heater and wipers and all that good stuff, it was, it was relatively quick. It, it, uh, which got, that got, you know, thrown over after I blew that up. I put a, uh, 396 solid cam 396 in it. And that was fun, but an awful lot of extra weight for about the same horsepower. So the car mm-hmm. actually slowed down, but, and that was my foray into the Nova world. I'd love to have another one. I'd love to build that car now with the knowledge and ability that I've developed over the years. That's what's fun about putting mm-hmm. this Chevelle post paint together. I remember doing all those same things when I was 16 and what a heck job it was. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to, to try not to repeat those, those same errors, but you know, it's even worse than thinking about some of the things that you used to do to your car when you were 16 and didn't know any better <laughs> is when your friends take your car apart that you put together when you were 16 oh. and find all of your, your uh, secrets in there, you know, oh, no. make you uh, wear the cone of shame when you come back oh, into the yeah. shop again. Like, uh, you know, like my seat risers that were made out of scraps of junk and washers and all kinds of stuff. And were, oh, no. were they chunks of four by four wood by any chance? Because I've seen that before. Uh, I've, I may have even done that before. <laughs> I can't remember. But yeah, I think there's probably there was probably some wood in there. I know there was a piece of... Uh, I know there was a piece of uh, uh, tin from an old heating duct. You know, because I think my parents had gotten a new furnace or something. And so there was all this tin like by the garbage can. And I was like, that's what I need to make my heater block off plate for my firewall. So I went over there and, you know, cut a piece of it out and, and zip screwed it into the firewall. And then, you know, I painted it black and you couldn't really see it that good. But when my friends took it all apart and saw it, they're like, oh, I see mm-hmm. what you did. <laughs> see, now that's, I mean, you actually had some fabrication in there, though. I, I found a dollar store cookie sheet when I finally decided to take the heater out of the Nova and, and delete it. There was the perfectly sized dollar store cookie sheet to cover the opening in the firewall. And it was like, you know, zip screwed that baby on, little semi-gloss black paint. And we were, we were racing, man. Yeah. <laughs> thanks to Zach Raditz and Jeff Carls for being our guests today. And thanks to all of you for listening to What Moves You, a Speedway Motors podcast. Visit the toolbox at speedwaymotors.com for photos we referenced in today's episode. Email the podcast at podcast at speedwaymotors.com. If you like what you heard, tell a friend where to find us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.